Retro time. Retro. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Derek. Derek, welcome back. I'm back. How how was your trip down to New Orleans? How many how was it? Down in New Orleans. Well, uh, first of all, I learned how to say it right finally. It's Nowlands. 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 Yeah, you've been gone for uh, so long. Yeah, we got to forgot how to say it. So uh, yeah, so we went down there and uh, had a great time. Saw family. And the thing I was looking forward to was answering any of your questions about my trip. <laughs> so what do you got? Shoot. I want to know how many snowballs did you have? I had one delicious giant stuffed Just snowball. Just one. Just you went one. down the middle of August and you had, or I guess it was July, wasn't it? Yeah. You went down the middle of July, you had one snowball? That's like, after August, it's the hottest time of the year, Derek. Well, here's here's the reason, okay? Yeah, like eight a day. If I have a snowball, guess who else has to have a snowball? I mean, so you can't just have a snowball without all the kids. The kids, because how many kids there were? At any particular kids? time, there were like eight kids around. Eight. Oh, God. Oh, because yeah. you were with family. Yeah, right, family. Of course. Yeah, only two. Um, yeah, that's a lot of kids. And, uh, you know, one thing you don't want to do with kids is uh, load them up with sugar. It's pretty much the first ingredient of a snowball. Yes, after, it is. You know, ice. Yeah. Snow. <laughs> the snow. Um, well, let me ask you this. Uh, did you have an ice cream snowball? What flavor did you have? Wild cherry? Let me guess. Oh, no, uh, no. Uh, God, what did I do? I did. Oh, chocolate. Stuffed. Chocolate. All right. Stuffed. All right. Yeah, I always go stuffed, Where'd you go? Baby. I went to Sloopies? a little place. I forget Snoopies? the name. Sloopies? It's, it's, it? uh, no, no, no. It's, uh, there's Not a place called Droopies that I actually own. Droopies, the, that's what it was. I own the Facebook account. You I took it. That it could because they they didn't have, have a whole retro bite about yeah, that. Yeah, so I own the Facebook account for that, so I get a lot of likes, even though the place doesn't exist anymore. Oh, that's so funny. So it says right. like defunct. I had to write that on there. Um, and so it's not Droopies. It's not mm-hmm. Robears, which is down in down in the uh, down in the old birds down at River Ridge. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was a little place. It's, it's like a little like uh, newer snowball stand that's close to where. Uh, my wife's parents live, so it was good. Though it was mm-hmm. good. Yeah, all right. Good selection. Uh, how many po' boys did you have? Yeah, two, two delicious giant po' boys. Uh, what's your favorite? Your favorite po' boy place down in New Orleans? My favorite po' boy place is Bobby Seafood, baby. You know how I do. Bobby Seafood. I don't know that. Yeah, it's Where down in River Ridge, man. That's okay. how I do. Yeah, you and all these River Ridge places. That's where I grew up. Place. And uh, so. Yeah, look me up down. If you're from River Ridge, send me a message. Um, That's right. You know, I will say this. Anybody out there listening who, we got a lot of listeners not from New Orleans. You go down to New Orleans and somebody tells you to go to some fancy sit-down place with a tablecloth to get a po' boy. Don't go. Don't go the, the best po' boys, they come from a little corner store, walk a little bodega. We don't call them bodegas in New Orleans, but a little bodega, a little, little uh, convenience store or something like gas stations usually. Yeah. Uh, those are the best po' boys, man. Can't yeah, be, there was a little place, uh, River Fine Foods down in uh, Algiers yeah, Point. And uh, it was it, River Fine Foods. It was anything but. Yeah. <laughs> it was by the river, though. But they had, dude, they had a three-foot-long shrimp po' boy. Three feet? <laughs> Dude, it was an entire loaf of French bread for like ten dollars, <laughs> and it was one of the best po' boys you could get. I'm telling you, man. Oh God. Anyway, don't don't go don't go spend if you spend more than like maybe well like the shrimp nowadays is expensive I guess but yeah um, if you go and spend any more than like fifteen dollars for like a foot long po' boy you're doing it wrong. I know a lot of places down in the French Quarter it's like twenty bucks or something. Yeah, they just they avoid those you. places. Yeah. Not to say there there I'm sure there are really great po' boy places in the French Quarter, but generally speaking. Um, those are the worst, which uh, kind of tie. I got a little anecdote about our topic today. We'll, we'll uh, get to that in a little bit. Well, Derek, it's good to have you back. Great to be back. Happy to have you. 
I was uh, on LinkedIn the other day, as you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit, and our good friend Doc Norton, he posted something, Derek, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Um, as you guys out there know, uh, Doc is a software developer, so he's not really talking about UX design or anything like that, but I, I think there's a lot of stuff that he's talking about that also apply to design. Test coverage is not a measure of quality, but having test coverage is an indicator of quality. And I thought that was really interesting. I wanted to get your get your thoughts on that. You know, dive into that a little bit. It means quite a bit. For those out there, UX designers, maybe you could tell, talk a little bit about what test coverage is, and then we can maybe talk a little bit about how, how that sort of applies for both software engineering and, and uh, UX design. Yeah, sure. So when you're writing your software code, your, uh, you know, the code that gets executed for your web, website or whatever, as you're writing it, you can also write automated tests that exercise the code, different functions, different methods within the code, and you can tell it, okay, if I send you a one, what do I expect the result to be? Oh, you're gonna fail if I send you a one. Oh, I didn't know that. So you, you'll test the code out and make sure it fails in the right cases and it succeeds in the right cases. That process that you have to go through mm-hmm. to do that you know, automated testing, uh, you know, I've found people who go through that process tend to think more about what their code's going to do and how mm-hmm. it's going to impact users, how people are going to use it, um, and the different cases they might encounter. So you'll handle yeah. bugs. You'll handle things like that a lot sooner. So right. I could definitely see why that would potentially be an indicator of quality. Yeah. Well, so the interesting thing about this quote, though, is what he's saying is just simply having that in place doesn't make high-quality software. But what he is saying is that the highest quality software tends to have those things. Yes. So I've also seen... So simply doing it doesn't make it high quality, but having it, it tends to be... But to your point, you're thinking about it, right? So you tend to have it, It's It's stuff. your approach to doing something that I find indicates the quality of the work you're going to do. And if you're approaching mm-hmm. it like a professional and really care, and you can't sleep at night until you've done everything possible to know that what you're doing is the correct thing the absolute best thing you can do, you can do. Maybe it's not what the engineers from Stanford that have been researching the new quantum computer would have done, but the best you can do. You know, Mm -hmm. that usually breeds quality. Yeah. So I'm thinking about like other things like from the UX side, from the design side um, that that apply. I'm thinking of like so many different things, right? So, you know, well-documented design system, for instance, right? Like just having a, a... a documented design system mm. doesn't make your design system good. But the best design systems tend to be well-documented. They tend to tell you how to use it, how not to use it, you know, when to do this, when to do that. Simply having some documentation doesn't necessarily make it high quality. And that also, you know, tends to uh, improve the overall quality of the interface because as I go from page to page and teams building things, different teams building other things, they tend to be the same because the rules are in place. Things like that, or maybe personas, right? Like just having a persona, a user persona doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have high quality, but the best software tends to have done the research, tends to have this stuff put together and and hopefully they use them, right? Um, You know, same goes for user research, usability studies, like the list here could go on and on. What I, I love about this quote though, is just the idea that just doing it, just checking off the box is not what's important, right? Mm-hmm. It's to your point, it's really how you use it, right? Because having those things just doesn't, you know, just having it, right. not actually, you know, I don't know, in, in Doc's example here, I don't know how test coverage works. I assume that like tests have to pass in order for it to get pushed to production. I guess you could just, you, got you could it. have That's a test covered, it, yeah. but then it fail, right? And it could it still go to production, line. I guess. It's, just, it's, just, like, like, it's yeah. just like back when they, you know, like Toyota invented the, you know, 
mm-hmm. end on cord and you pull the end on cord so you don't get a faulty car at the end. You have to then disassemble and fix the you know, mm-hmm. issues. You find them right when they occur. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I found that really interesting. The example that I'm thinking about with New Orleans, <laughs> you know, we talk about uh, New Orleans. Everybody thinks they have such great restaurants and everything there. And they do. They have wonderful restaurants. But there's also a huge tourism industry. And so there are restaurants down in New Orleans where you would never catch a local. <laughs> you know, like I mean, they are there solely to, uh, you know, partner with hotels to get these people. They overcharge you. They, it's way too expensive. And the food is maybe it's not bad, but it's certainly not the best. Um, so I'm thinking about stuff like that, right? Like uh, having a sommelier, for instance, you know, doesn't make your restaurant good. You might have a sommelier, but terrible food and terrible wine. Um, but generally, the best restaurants tend to have a sommelier, right? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, some something like that. You know, the best restaurants tend to have turtle soup or something, you know. Not having turtle soup doesn't make it good, but the best restaurants tend to have that kind of stuff down there. So anyway, that, that's just sort of an example I just love that idea, though, about just having these things and just ticking the boxes doesn't make your software good. Yeah. You know? And I think that's really important for UX design because a, a lot of people just come in and they just say, oh, well, we did this step, we did this step, we did that step, and they just think about that process. You know, it makes me also think about agile, like people over process, mm-hmm. right? Following the process is not what's important. The context and the people is important. And when you when to apply certain things will change how you do it. Um, and so just checking off the boxes, say you did this, I did that, I did this, I did that, it does not mean you're going to come up with a great outcome at the end, you know? Fascinating idea. I mean, what's the best code that's ever been written? Mm, Double Dragon 2. <laughs> that's second best. That's second best. What a fantastic answer to that question. <laughs> um, the best code that's ever been written? Um, I, I don't know. What, what, were you, what What's your idea? What's your thought? No code. So, no so imagine oh, a situation where you realize code wasn't necessary. That requires yeah, yeah, yeah. more thought than the most nuanced understanding of the latest technology that you're, you're in your development framework because you have to really understand what the problem is. People who care about mm-hmm. the problem and care about solving it for people, that's the, where the best software comes from, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, I don't know, it's where the best products comes from in general, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, same, we've said this a million times in the show, but, you know, just writing software to write software because, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, some functional person or some user said, hey, I really want this thing. Some CEO said, hey, go build this thing when, you know, you're not solving for the right problem. You're solving for the wrong problem and you've essentially built completely worthless software. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny uh, as we think about indicators, there's a dark side. Watch out. So the dark side of an indicator and the flip side, thought I was thinking about this while we were talking, is a stereotype. Ah, so okay. you could be, you could say that when teams test, they tend to be a better team. But now all of a sudden, you're stereotyping uh, teams, bad teams. Bad teams. But in saying. that case, an indicator indicates something positive as a result. A stereotype mm-hmm. would indicate something bad. So imagine... You start to look at teams who don't write tests. They must be a bad team. You look at teams that, you know what I mean? And so that's that's the trick I think people fall into or the, the problem that people fall into is that yeah, it's really interesting. They, they fall into that opposite. They start to hate on the folks that aren't doing what they think is best, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, actually, that goes uh, to design as well. I mean, if you're thinking about it 
from the UX side, there's a lot of people out there that would say, oh, well, you didn't do this step or, oh, you didn't, oh, you didn't do the double diamond. Oh, you didn't do a design sprint, you know? Um, and there's just a lot. And again, this is where I think, you know, people over process is really important. There's times when those things are necessary and there's certainly times when they're probably just fluff and, and won't really increase value at any point. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but that is something that a lot of teams will look at and be like, oh yeah, you don't do this. Oh, you, you don't do that. Suck. What do you mean? You yeah. don't do this. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's like a huge pitfall that I think a lot of you know humans in general just kind of fall into. What's a good way to to avoid doing that? In your opinion, do you have any uh, thoughts? About I would that? say, that I think the simplest way is if you have an indicator and it's behavior that leads to something positive, focus only on that. Not mm-hmm. someone looks a certain way, so they must be bad at something, or someone uh, comes in late, so they must be bad at something. Those are things that they may be dealing with or problems that they may be having um, or who they are as a person. Always on the positive, never on the negative. Mm-hmm. And if you if you stay positive with it and, you know, you don't you don't you always say like, OK, I I've seen benefits in in people writing tests sh- indicate good behavior. You know, let's let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate the folks who write tests and let's see if other teams are having trouble writing tests because they're obviously mm. good. They have no, they have no, yeah. there's no indicator saying they're bad. You know, yeah. it's just, we have this indicator here saying that this could be beneficial, you know, but maybe they're like, yeah. I don't know if I write a test, the, the missile's going to get launched. And if the missile gets launched, then Russia's coming, you know, it's like, Oh, yeah, unlikely. Um, yeah. Tests are an interesting case because they're generally a good idea. But some people will argue mm-hmm. that people write too many tests. That the only test yeah, you really spend time focusing on that. Yeah, they spend too much time focusing on like the minute little details of did I cover this whole function as opposed to what are people actually doing with this software? Just test it from. Yeah. The te- you know, it's yeah. funny, man, dude. This is like exactly the same kind of arguments for a lot of things in the UX design field. So, you know, I, I've uh, I've worked with product people in the past that complain about how UX designers will just spend, you know months and months trying to you know think about a problem as many different ways as they can, but like we never built anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you spent six months just like farting away all this stuff, but you didn't do anything. Like, what did you show for it at the end? You know, so I think that's certainly possible, too. I think there's certainly a time to move forward. And I, I think this is something, you know, Matt Landry always said, and I know he didn't make this up, but there's a lot of, you know, I don't know how where this quote is and came from, but don't let perfect get in the way of the good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, or don't let perfect get in the way of the good. You know, I, I think a lot of times about like, you know, people in the Senate will, you know, vote against some bill that they weren't 100 percent behind when like, you know, the status quo was a million times worse than whatever bill would have been passed, you know. And so now now you have nothing, you know, great. You know, the same kind of thing applies here. You know, when is enough enough? When are we ready? When can we move forward? Are we are we comfortable enough making a decision about a solution or a product? A feature or something, can we just uh, say, yeah, this is fine. This is good enough. We'll validate later and move forward. You know, I think um, the same kind of goes back to this idea of, you know, it's not a measure of quality, but it's an indicator. You know, just because you don't do something or skip a step doesn't necessarily mean the end result will be bad. Yeah. It, it just knowing knowing when to assume those risks, you know, knowing when to move forward when you've maybe with this particular thing doesn't need code coverage or that other thing doesn't need a persona or we don't need to do a usability study because the feature is so obvious, you know, sure. um, and we can validate it on the back end instead of waiting an extra six months to build it, you know, while we do our studies or something. So, yeah, that's a that's a really great point, Derek. I love that a lot. It's tricky, man. It's tricky. It's tricky also to 
for people who've been doing something for a long time, they'll have their own opinions about the right way to do something, the wrong way to do something. So even if you say, you know, someone says, is it a good indicator that if people have 80% test coverage, meaning 80% of their code is covered by tests and, and scenarios, that they're, they're a good team. And so some manager may say that because they heard some developers say that, that they trust. And you're just mm-hmm. sitting there thinking, they probably just wrote a bunch of dumbass tests and they do nothing, <laughs> you know? Like, I'd have to inspect yeah. all their work in order to be guaranteed that that's true. And so it's like, yeah. the more experienced people will give you the real take on it. And if mm-hmm. anybody blanketly says something's good or bad, usually that person doesn't know enough yet to really be, uh, you know, a spokesperson of that particular thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just I love this whole idea though of just you know um, knowing when knowing when enough is enough. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, think that's yeah. almost like kind of summing it up, like knowing when you're ready, knowing when to assume the risk, and knowing when to move Dude. forward. Um, so yeah. check this out. There was a a developer. It might have been Dan North. I feel like I'm so blown away that we've actually interviewed these people that we're talking about. <laughs> these are like these are like mythical figures to me. It's like interviewing yeah, a Pegasus. All you got to do is ask. You know the great thing about people who write books, you know, t- give talks, is they love talking Yeah, I know. They talk books ideas. and talk That's great. Yeah, it works out perfectly Yeah, I know. It works out good ahead. for us. Well, I've also <laughs> found out that people will pay like 50 grand to come on certain podcasts. And then I was like, God damn. You know, like like podcasts that have a lot yeah, of... Um, yeah, that'll... We'll send you our PayPal. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, can, I, can I get uh, at least like 50 bucks? <laughs> like, yeah. Can you send me a sticker? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, our man Dan North... I think it was Dan. He posted something and it said, I write enough tests so that I can sleep at night. And then I stopped. There you go. That's it. Right? Yeah. And that's like an internal measure of quality for him. And I was like, yeah. And it's what I like about that is it's so subjective. Mm-hmm. It's like what? And that's, again, goes back to assuming the risk. Like I can assume the risk of the stuff that's not covered. I can assume the risk of not having that thing validated or usability study. I can assume the risk of not having something you know whatever to cover this i you know i don't need to put the metrics on that or the analytics on that because i I'm not, i feel confident it's it's right you know using your heuristics and evaluation and stuff to, to think about that yeah i love that idea like what's enough for enough what's enough for yeah. you and your team the thing that i was going to think about back to the that team we were on before i remember we had these sort of team contracts that you guys would always do as developers and writing like spend <laughs> days and weeks <laughs> thinking about the definition of done mm-hmm. And the definition of ready <laughs> and all that stuff. And and at the time, I was just like, what are you guys doing? You're just like, you guys have spent weeks arguing about the definition of done. Nothing's yeah. done. <laughs> you ain't done nothing. <laughs> yeah, you ain't done nothing. What's done? Not a goddamn thing's done. You spent so much time about the definition of done, you didn't get anything done. Anyway, I don't know. I, and again, I'm, this is me being completely ignorant of a lot of this stuff. Maybe that's really important because in that case, though, we had a lot of teams, a lot of people, a lot of people cross cultures, time zones, everything else. I think in that case, it probably did make sense though, to have that more clearly defined because what you don't want is one rogue person going in and just blowing it up because they just want to they have their own ideas when, you know, maybe they're a small minority, but they could have a huge impact in a negative way. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, I'm curious. <laughs> I, I guess that applies yeah, to this, right? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's totally valid. So the thing about when you spend a week talking about definition of done, your team was so far off from being mm-hmm. a cohesive unit in, right. in, the, in the sense of quality. Definition of done is a lot about what is good enough for this group. Right, to move forward. So if yeah. it takes you a week, you had to spend that week or you would have spent yeah. years. So it was worth it, right? Oh, yeah. yeah you would have spent years yeah. trying to undo Fix all of the, the different yeah. kind of wavy stuff you guys were doing. 
Yeah. And it creates inconsistent software. The thing mm-hmm. somebody once told me was, if a team writes software and you can't tell who wrote what, that's an amazing piece of software. All right. Um, you, you, you don't have yeah, like your, nobody has their own signature. Yeah, like oh, that, oh that's the oh, expert that, over there. You know. Yeah, Derek always does this thing. You know, look at that's Derek's like. You know, yeah, that's, that's, that's signature. a signature, baby. Oh, look at that for loop. Oh man, <laughs> oh, he always uses the little colon move or whatever. Yeah, so. That kind of thing. I found that to be really interesting. Well, Jeremy always labels his variables A, B, and C. Drives me nuts. <laughs> uh, side side tangent here. Um, speaking of A, B, C, I don't think I've ever told you this before. My friend, my friend Chris, he grew up in on the West Bank in uh, kind of. He's, he claimed it to be like a rough part of town on the West Bank and uh, growing yeah, up. I can see that. And he had kids that lived down the street, and uh, he said. He didn't understand why their parents were naming them what they were naming them. There was a kid named okay. ABC, Abek. <laughs> ABC okay. was the kid's name. Um, okay. And he was like, they just took the first three letters, named the damn kid the first three letters of the alphabet. Oh, that was really his name, his name ABC. ABC. Yeah. I, oh, I think about, anytime everybody says ABC, one, two, three, I hear that song, I think about little Abek. Walking down the street with his basketball. Did, did he ever find out why? Uh, no, I, he, he, he had to keep his door locked a lot in that neighborhood, I think. Oh, man. See, when you said that, I was thinking, like, they would just go, hey, hey, be quiet, you know, yeah. B or something. I don't know. Hey, you know, like that. And that's, like, how they got AB. He just thought his name was AB, <laughs> ABC. But AB. Anyway. That's where I thought you were going. That's No, story. no. Straight up a kid's name. So The kid's name, AB. So, okay. Well, you know, who knows, man? Who am I to judge? <laughs> Not me. Um, not me. I don't know. So that's a really funny story. Um, so Derek, I don't know. I think, uh, I think this is just really interesting. Any other, any other thoughts about this? Like, um, tips, advice uh, on how to maybe, maybe analyze when enough is enough. No, I think, I think that for people that aren't familiar with it, with software and they're just kind of like new to this concept or idea, one thing you can do is look at other aspects of your life and see what are indicators of a good restaurant that you go to. What are indicators of a good doctor? Mm-hmm a good, you know, partner or a good girlfriend or boyfriend? Like, what are things that, you know, you already have this in you to figure out what are indicators and what are absolutes? So I say practice just like looking around in your life and seeing like, you know what? I noticed that when somebody bathes at least once a week, that's an indicator. (laughs) That's an indicator. I can live with them. You know, yeah, my wife got unlucky in that one. Um, oh yeah. man, sorry. That's Derek. all good. Man. Well, you are a developer. She should. That's known. good. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. So I think my thing here is like understanding why it's an indicator. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, and really understanding like what is the reason why people think this is a, a measure of quality, right? Test coverage. Why is test coverage important? What happens if we don't do test coverage or personas or you know, use validation, user research, whatever it is? Why is that critical? And then once you understand those rules, then you can start to bend and break mm, them okay. where necessary. Gotcha. You know, so you got to understand why you do things a certain way before you can break the rules. I think a lot about like jazz players or artists, right? When they when they start out, they always copy. They copy, copy, copy until they understand what the person was doing and then they can go off and change it. Mm. And, you know, come up with their own style or something. And so in this case, a very similar thing, you know, understand why those tests cover, you know, understand the point of them, why you do them in the first place and do them. And then when you, once you get good at doing them, then you can say, well, I don't need to do it here mm-hmm. and, and understand why you don't need to do it there. When can you break the rules? You know, when can you bend the rules? 
but you can't know when to bake, break or bend the rules until you actually understand the reason why the rules are in place in the first place. Bro, we're going to talk about, you know what we talk about on the next show? Shuhari. I'll tell you about it next time. That? I'll tell you about it next time. Okay. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. All right. Remember, Shuhari. You're going to have to uh, type that out to me. Yeah. It's, it's Japanese. <laughs> it's like it's Japanese or some shit. Shuhari. Okay. Is it, is it a lean thing? It's not a lean thing. No. It's a, uh, okay. it's a, it's a, a mastery thing. It's a, how you, how you, ah, how you okay. get, right. become well, a master. Did you learn about it all in the Karate Kid? You, uh, I learned about it in Karate Class. I'm just kidding. I don't go to Karate, <laughs> karate class. class. I'm thinking about it, though. I'm thinking about going to Karate <laughs> oh, Class. Yeah? yeah, doing a like, nighttime Karate Class with my son's karate teacher. Oh, that'd be fun. Dude, I, yeah, they I, do like a dad, son, or a parent, son it's kind not, of thing. It's not. It's, it's a, kind of thing. adults only. So it's like, yeah, oh, wow. yeah, oh, yeah. So he teaches, he teaches the same, uh, uh, more advanced version of what he teaches the kids. Ah, okay. Adults. And I get to kick him. There you go. Linus wants to take karate, and we keep. Uh, I'm kind of worried because it could either go one of two ways. He could learn how to hit and kick and punch, you know, properly, and also understand why he shouldn't just go and kick and punch his friends. <laughs> or he'll learn how to kick and punch and just go and kick and punch everybody. <laughs> Which I'm kind of. I'm like, what is depends. he? You know, hopefully the the teacher will teach them. You know, maybe some self restraint. Most karate. But, you know, I look at Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. They didn't learn the lesson. Did, no, yeah, no. that's true. They didn't that's learn. true. I, they, usually they have like a free trial, so check them out, man. Yeah, we got a free month, yeah, and Remy loved it. Right on. All right, my dude. Well, I'm gonna have to head out in a little bit. We're gonna we got a uh, uh, tonight is meet the teacher night, so Ooh, I'm gonna have to go actually put something on other than an entire Pelicans tracksuit. <laughs> I got gray pants, gray shirt. I don't have a Pelicans hat. Oh, I have a Pelicans hat. But I'm not wearing it. I love it. Yeah, you got your Ohio hold hat. Hold on. Hold on. Wait, hold on. You got a Pelicans. Hold on. Let me see it. This is for all our, our, our listeners out there. Pelican's hat. Pelican's hat. Pelican. I, you know what I got? I got my, I'm in my closet, as everybody out there knows. I'm in my closet, so I got all my hats right all here. All right. I've got, Derek, my Oktoberfest hat. Oh, that's Look a good-looking hat, dude. Amy's been buying me pins. I have some New Orleans pins. Oh, I have some, like, man. Cincinnati oh, yeah, pins. Fantastic. I got my Oktoberfest. Hey, Oktoberfest coming up. Oh, man. I heard it, yeah. I'm like a month and a half away. I'm already getting uh, emails about volunteering for the Mainstrass our neighborhood where we live, Main Strauss, German for Main Street, big German neighborhood I live in, and we do a big Oktoberfest. I'm be there, and uh, yeah, dude. And I got a, uh, I'm volunteering. I, I serve beer in one of the booths. It's pretty oh, fun. Um, so anyway, that's my hat. I don't do basketball. <laughs> so. I gotta show you. All right, Derek. All right, that's all I got. Uh, awesome, awesome topic today, man. This is a good one. Um, so, uh, what was I gonna say? Um, what do I normally say? Uh, check us out. Uh, on- <laughs> Check us out at RetroTimePodcast.com. Get yourself some stickers, RetroTimePodcast.com slash stickers. Derek, now that our kids are starting back at school, Ooh. you and I need to take a Friday off and just like hang out and just write some goddamn review jams. I can't wait. So we're going to knock those out, baby. So leave some five-star reviews. We're going to uh, knock them all out. We're going to do a sprint, and we're going to knock out our review jams and, and our backlog. So check Damn, that out, RetroTimePodcast.com slash reviews to listen to all the past reviews, all the past review jams. And until next time, we'll see you. Take it easy. Ho 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 ha ha hey ho ho hey hey. I'm not mocking you. I'm trying to get mine set up right soon. <laughs>